Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the Intuitive Customer podcast um, with myself, Colin Shaw, and my erstwhile colleague, Hi, Ryan, um, if you hear me working on anything, it's me looking up the word erstwhile. <laughs> I noticed that you just said Ryan as if to say. <laughs> I, I was distracted by that $3 work. <laughs> that was so impressive. <laughs> Sorry, Ryan, Ryan Hamilton, PhD, Dr. <laughs> Professor. Yeah, clever bloke. Oh, I've got this clever bloke oh. with me today. Yeah. Um, and bloke is, by the way, the, the sort of clever guy. <laughs> I'm looking that one up too. I'm making a list. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to do an English, English, English version, not just uh, an English American version. So, um, so today we're going to talk about uh, why do customers focus on seemingly unimportant things? Uh, and you know we've all done this. We've, we we um, we we go and buy something, and we seem to focus on something that seems to be unimportant. Uh, and um, um, Ryan, over to you. Give us some yeah. background, on this and then we'll have a chat. And it and it drives marketers crazy. Drives managers crazy. Um, so the I'm going to start off by uh, by telling you about some research, uh, as we often do in these podcasts, and then we'll expand out from there. Um, this study that I'm going to tell you about was run by a, a brilliant researcher at the uh, University of Chicago by the name of uh, Chris Shi. Um, and uh, what he did it was a very simple experiment. Um, he took some uh, some undergraduates and he gave them information about two hypothetical dictionaries. So this was run back in the day when dictionaries were still things that people bought. Uh, he showed them two dictionaries uh, and he said one has – 20,000 entries and is um, uh, got a small tear on the cover. Uh, the other one has 10,000 entries, but it is like new. It's in pristine condition. And so they just asked people, how much were you willing to pay for these two dictionaries? Uh, the bigger dictionary, I think, went for something like $27 was people's willingness to pay. Smaller dictionary, something like $19. So, so far, so good. That, that, that makes sense. People were willing to pay more for the larger dictionary, but not twice as much because, um, uh, you know, maybe we're getting some words that aren't as useful and there's a tear on the cover. All that makes sense. He then took two other groups of people. And he gave them just one dictionary or the other to evaluate. So how much you'd be willing to pay for this one dictionary in isolation? So either the 20,000 uh, entry with a small tear on the cover or the 10,000 entry that's like new. And what he found there is that the willingness to pay numbers in those two conditions actually flipped. And people were willing to pay more for the smaller dictionary. Oh. Yeah. So uh, – there are a couple of things going on here. Um, in terms of these two attributes, number of entries and the condition of the cover, uh, which is objectively more important? If it's a dictionary, I guess it would be the words. I feel that's, like you're a straight man here, actually. You, you are, Colin. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's your role in this. Uh, that, that, that's it, right? I mean, that the number of entries that defines the dictionariness of the dictionary, that, that tells you how useful it's going to be to you. So clearly that's the most important attribute, but it's also an attribute that 
we're not prepared to evaluate. I mean, how many entries does the average dictionary have? Why would you know that? Why would anybody know that? We, We can't evaluate that attribute. And so instead, we rely on the easy to evaluate attribute. Which is the the cover condition? So is it is it like new or does it have a tear on the cover? All right. So when so when the, you show the above these dictionaries, so the fact that it has a tear in it, yes, also has an indication that it, it affects the quality of the entire um, dictionary. Potentially, it may. Um, it may also though just be you know it was kind of damaged in shipping and and so has a small sure. tear on the cover and nothing else is wrong with it. Um, what um what the argument that that uh, that that she made um when he ran the study and, and others like it uh is that a lot of times we don't focus on what's important necessarily a lot of times we focus on what's easy to evaluate so we called this the evaluability hypothesis which i'm able to say because i've practiced it a lot <laughs> it's essentially how easy is it to evaluate and the argument is that Attributes that are easy to evaluate tend to get more weight in decisions. So that's what we tend to focus on and pay attention to. So to your question at the top of the podcast, why do people focus on um, irrelevant or or meaningless or unimportant information? Well, one of the reasons is because oftentimes that objectively irrelevant information is very easy to evaluate. And so we base our judgments on that instead of on the more important stuff. The Intuitive Customer Podcast is brought to you by Beyond Philosophy. Since 2002, Beyond Philosophy has been helping organizations improve their customer experience through their consulting, training, and research services. Find out more at beyondphilosophy.com. That's beyondphilosophy.com. So this is, um, let me give you an example of something that has happened to me the other day that um, and I'm, I'm interested in your whether this applies. Yeah. Um, so I've got this um, new security Arlo system that, you know, videos your house and stuff. Um, and my router keeps, when I have a power cut, the router cancels and then the Arlo system cancels. Okay. So in other words, you know, pointless. So answer is um, uh, get, uh, get an uh, uninterruptible power supply. Okay. Now, I don't know about you, but I know not very much about uninterruptible power supplies. So now I'm trying to evaluate uninterruptible power supplies. Yes. Um, and I'm looking for something that uh, I, I'm starting to get drawn into. Hmm, that looks quite a nice one. Um, but, uh, because I don't know what the content, you know, the output, I don't know what the ampage is. And yep. even if it did tell me the ampage, which I'm sure it did, I wouldn't have a bloody clue what it meant in the first You place. don't have a reference point for it. Correct. Yeah. Yes. So, so how's that? I presume that's, um, that's all coming into play here. I start looking at some more simpler things that I can make a judgment on in terms of the uninterruptible power supply. Yeah, I think that's exactly. Do you remember what ultimately drove your decision? Um, well, I actually I went on to a few review sites and and um, uh, I put my anorak on, which the British audience will know that that means that I I put my geek uh, coat on and started to read about uninterruptible power supplies. You can tell that I have a really interesting life, can't you? Uh, <laughs> 
Um, but I, I think the main reason was the the, the reviews that were given, uh, the price point, um, the reliability, uh, and I, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a, a, a bundle of things. But I think ultimately it was also about just how long. Maybe this does apply. It was um, how long would it last for? Um, so I bought one that I think gave me something like eleven minutes of downtime because that's the only thing I could really understand. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's exactly it. And in talking about price and reviews, these are all things that are very easy for us to evaluate. Right, a five-star review, we we all understand that. Right, three-star review, we we can understand kind of how good or bad that is. Um, same with yeah, the the number of minutes that it'll last, like that. That's pretty straightforward. Like we can all understand that. Amps of power, um, you know, uh, wattage, voltage, you know, all these things. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, we don't stand a chance. And so we tend to focus on the stuff that is easy for us to evaluate. I think that that's a great example, and I think that's exactly what what happened. Um, I, I mean, I think we do this all the time. Um, that there are surveys in presidential elections. If you if you think about the the task of evaluating um, someone for political office, yeah. really really hard. I mean, you need to anticipate how this person you don't know is going to react to really stressful situations that require a lot of arcane knowledge. It's it's just really hard. Instead, you tend to find that people who win presidential elections in the U.S. That that tends to correlate really highly with uh, which candidate would you rather have a beer with. We, right. we, we use some easy to evaluate attribute in place of more important attributes specifically because it's easy, because we can figure it out and evaluate it and uh, compare people on those dimensions, even if objectively they don't matter. We're so pleased that you're listening to this episode of The Intuitive Customer. As a listener, we want to offer you a free download of Colin's ebook. Unlocking the Hidden Customer Experience. Take advantage of this free offer being made available only to listeners of this podcast. Do it now. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast and follow the link for the free book. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. But I presume you're doing that subconsciously, are you? Because uh, you, wouldn't sometimes. Say, you wouldn't necessarily say overtly say well who can i have a beer with you that may be your judgment but you would you may say i like that person or i dislike that person probably more dislike actually with most politicians <laughs> um, which one do you dislike the most <laughs> so, but is that is that where is it is it more of a subconscious or a conscious decision i think it, I think it can be i think that when you um, focused on 11 minutes um, as one of the key attributes or focused on, on reviews as a key attribute. I think I don't think that was subconscious. I think you kind of knew what you were doing and, and you still tended to focus on the uh, easy to evaluate attribute. I think that it can be more subtle than that. I think you're right that uh, some of these decisions that we make, some of these substitutions that we make are more uh, subtle in terms of, of what we focus on. Right. And how does that, I, I know this is again something we've spoke about in the past, but I guess the whole issue around halo and the halo effect also comes into to, to that decision, does it? Or are these, are they sort of distinctly separate? So they've been studied separately. I think that they are, though, part of the same phenomenon where we are um, 
so if if I had to distill all of psychology down to you know three or four key ideas, um, one of them would be uh, substitution, which is this idea that a lot of the judgments that we make uh, when they're hard, we just substitute in easier judgments to make in their place and move on from there. And I think both halo effect and um, valuability fall under that uh, that umbrella, which is that we find this judgment difficult to make. And so instead we're going to make an easier judgment. Like how much do I like this brand as a whole? That would be a halo effect. Or um, are there any of these attributes in particular that are easy to evaluate? That's what I'm going to. Right. So I guess if you go back to the, the, our usual bit, which is okay. So what does this mean that you do? Um, If you've got a complex product or service that is complicated, you need to simplify and give somebody something that they can understand and make a simple decision on. Is yep. That right? Yep. And I've got I've got an example from that's near and dear to my heart from uh, American universities. So um, it, uh, universities are are one of these very difficult to evaluate uh, offerings. So yeah. you know you if you are an incoming freshman or the parent of an incoming freshman, you you want to pick a school that will obviously give a great education, but you know, people learn in slightly different ways and you know, you, you want to have someplace where you'll, you'll make a lot of friends and, and, you know, create a social network and, and have uh, experiences and opportunities. A lot of these things are very difficult to evaluate beforehand. Um, so the American universities have been criticized uh, in recent years for spending money in, let's say some questionable ways. So um, a lot of times the dorm rooms are very fancy. They have really top-notch athletic facilities. There's been kind of a booming market in lazy rivers on college campuses. Texas Tech has one. Uh, LSU has a lazy river in the shape of the logo, LSU. Um, Ohio State has a 250-person hot tub in their rec center. (laughs) Which sounds like a just a disease factory to me, but whatever. <laughs> um, and uh, and I think you can understand a lot of these decisions by university presidents from an evaluability perspective. You've got a very difficult to evaluate product, but you know it's easy to evaluate if you are an incoming freshman the presence or absence of a lazy river. That's very easy <laughs> to evaluate. And yeah, every, so, everybody notices that. That's right. Yeah. And so, you know, you've gotten into two great universities, one of which has a 250 person hot tub. The other one doesn't. Well, all right. That's I mean, it's a no brainer, isn't it? Yeah. And and to your point about is this, you know, something that people articulate to themselves or not? Eh, I, I'm not sure. I doubt that you're going to tell your parents you want to go here because they've got a lazy river. Um, but, you know, I think there's evidence that it could factor in at some point uh, in your decisions. The Intuitive Customer is being brought to you by Beyond Philosophy. Your frontline teams should be trained on how they can practically influence customer decision using some of the psychological techniques discussed in these podcasts. To understand Beyond Philosophy's unique approach to the training of frontline teams, just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash employee training. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash employee training. And this actually ties into... Um, one of the things that um, you, would, you, you know, we talk about, Ryan, with regard to what's driving value. Yeah. And you'll, um, we undertake some special research that um, 
identify some of those hidden factors not going to go into it now uh, but I think it sort of underpins the fact that um, there are things that drive value that can um, be um, counterintuitive, put it that way. Um, and there are, you know, we've got lots of examples of where organized, where um, customers would say, yeah, that it's the key thing for me is price or the key thing yeah. for me is availability. And what you discover is it's nothing to do with that. Yep. In your in your context, it's the lazy river that's actually the thing that drives most value, uh, and um, and uh, uh, and uh, you know not not the academic um, the academic achievement. But I guess thinking about that, just as I was talking, there's also got to be some parameters around that, hasn't they? Because just because you've got a, a really good lazy river but you're academically inept um then you know there i presume most students wouldn't choose the inept um uh, university that's got a really nice lazy river yes absolutely yeah very good so um there is there's a whole body of research around um what you can do to make attributes more evaluable so easier to evaluate um and uh you know Reference points would help. Um, uh, kind of uh, comparability would help. So yes, if you if you're looking at two schools, if you've been accepted to two schools, and one is pretty abysmal on the academic front, um, and the other one is pretty great, but the academic or the the bad one has a lazy river. No, clearly that won't probably be enough to sway you. Um, where this gets dicey is because so many of the things. Um, that matter with regards to university are difficult to evaluate. That's where we tend to find these uh, these these uh, examples. So for going back to the dictionary case, um, if one dictionary had 45 entries uh, and the other one had 10,000, 45 entries is is going to be easy to evaluate. That's clearly a bad dictionary. We don't know how many entries a dictionary should have, but it should be in the thousands. I guess it depends on how long the words are, because it had 45 entries with supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. And if they, if it was a 45 um, <laughs> entry dictionary that was just all of Collins' Britishisms, okay, <laughs> I might buy that dictionary. Um, but yes, to your point. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely. So it, a lot of of your college experience on the academic side is going to be somewhat difficult to evaluate. But yeah. not all the ca- uh, in all cases, right? If you get into Harvard and you get into some other school and that other school has a lazy river, chances sure. are you're going to Harvard. Uh, sure. So the secret, so the message here is, it, it's not the obvious things that necessarily are the things that customers make decisions on, and therefore you have to try to understand what those things are to be able to design and and therefore market to those customers. Uh, otherwise, if you carry on just um, uh, hitting the same things that you think are the things that are driving value, then you're you're never going to get anywhere. Yeah, and another uh, question you need to ask yourself is: Can is the stuff that's important evaluable by your customers? Can your customers actually evaluate the stuff that's important? Uh, and a lot of firms assume that their customers can. Right. This is obviously the most, you know, and, you know, if you're buying a, a continuous power source, obviously amperes is the most important thing that you care about or volts or yeah. whatever it is. Um, but are your customers actually in a position to be able to evaluate that stuff? Sure. And if not, 
then it's it's ultimately not going to matter that much. They're going to sure. focus on something else. So help them out. You know, the, a company is absolutely in a position to explain to me um, why volts matter and what they mean and what they can do for me. Yeah. Um, many firms don't. They don't bother to. Sure. And I think what they also do, in my view, is they they assume knowledge. They assume yeah. that that you understand what all this stuff means. Um, and um, certainly in my case, I don't. Um, <laughs> but uh, and, and I think the other thing for me is that, you know, simplification. Uh, you know, I'm a great believer that, that it's very easy to make things complicated. Yeah. It's very difficult to make things simple. Um, and certainly, as you're more than aware, I love Apple. I think they've done a great job in just making things simple and intuitive. Yeah. Um, so that, that's a key for me. And, and I mean, most uh, the, of Apple stuff focuses you on the, the benefits. You know what it does for you. It's less about the specs. Um, yeah. It's more about the fact that it's fast or that it's easy or, and, and not about kind of processing speeds. And you get a free lazy river with every iPad you buy. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's an app for that now. I don't know. <laughs> there probably is. Yeah. Good. Okay. Uh, well, thanks very much uh, uh, for that, Ryan. And um, thanks very much for everybody listening. And we look forward to hearing you on another intuitive customer podcast. So thanks, thanks everybody. This has been the intuitive customer with Colin Shaw and professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.